we are in part 26 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, A New Law. And I just want to begin with just reading some thoughts from King David that he wrote in the book of Psalms. You're probably familiar with this passage. He said this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you have a handout sheet, I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank in one moment. But let me begin with this thought. The intentions and thoughts of your heart are just as obvious to God as your actions. Now, many of you know that already. To others of you, that is a shocking revelation. That you think perhaps of God like you think of a pastor, which is the pastor tends to have a creepy way of knowing certain things about me, but I can still hide stuff from him. That is not at all the situation of God. That God can look right into you and everything that you're thinking about, all your motives, all your intentions, all of that is displayed openly for him to see. There is no way to hide anything from God. There's no way that you have a corner that he does not know about. Therefore, when you bring something out into the light, you are merely letting other people know what you and God have always known. Therefore, the fill in the blank in front of you is this. The intents of our hearts, I-N-T-E-N-T-S, the intents of our hearts are as powerful as our actions. The intention of our hearts is as powerful as our actions. The battle is going to be waged because what we, is waged in the mind because what we believe that we will ultimately carry out. So God is going to transform us there. God's going to hold us accountable there. By the time we get to actions, we've gone way down the road. So let's go ahead and dive into God's word. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Matthew 5 17. We are in the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to be in there for quite a few weeks because Jesus uh, seems to be changing a lot of things. He's coming out and he's saying, you have heard this, I tell you this. You have heard this, I tell you this. And if you don't read it right, if you don't understand it, it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, that old way of doing things is bogus and terrible. I'm going to go fix it now because I made a mistake last time. That is incorrect. Jesus did not come to say, I need to go to plan B because plan A failed. He is saying, I want to reveal to you more clearly the intention of my father's heart all along. I'm going to bring clarity. I'm going to stop certain things because they no longer, what, carry out the function they were designed for. And I'm going to start new things. I'm going to crystallize some things. I'm going to reveal some things. And I'm going to hit hard on some things. And what he does is raise the bar as far as expectation. 
So when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we see it how it's different. Do not think that the Old Testament is one type of God and the New Testament is another type of God. It's the same God, the same theme, just further revealed. So just real quick, let's dive right into it. Matthew 5, 17. Here's what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come to abolish, to wipe out, to destroy, to eliminate the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. But to fulfill them. For truly I say to you. Seriously check this out. Until heaven and earth pass away. Not an iota. Not a dot will pass from the law. Until all is accomplished. Now looking back 2000 years. And us being in a Christian environment. In modern day. You can automatically jump to the end. Of whatever sermon you think I'm going to teach. And that would go something like this. Oh, I get it. Jesus just said he's going to die on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, he's going to fulfill the law completely and then switch his life with ours and we will have salvation. If that's what you think I'm about to teach on, that is an awesome message. Thank you for the compliment. However, that is not what I'm going to teach on today. But you would have got the point. The bigger point is that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law so that it was completed, not wiped away. When God said something down, it was good. The Old Testament law is good. Everything about it is good. It's just that it no longer served the function that it was designed for. So Jesus fulfilled that and said, we're moving on to this. So what did they mean by the law and the prophets? What do we do with that? Because to a Jew, they use that phrase, the law, for a whole bunch of things. Sometimes when they said, do you know the law? They meant the Ten Commandments. And everyone would go, yeah, I know the Ten Commandments. Sometimes when they said the law and prophets, they meant the whole Old Testament. Because they also called the first five books of the Bible the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called the Pentateuch. The Penta means five. The first five books believed to have been written by Moses, they would call that the law. And everything else in the Old Testament was people speaking for God that makes them prophets. So the law and the prophets was the entire Old Testament. Or did they mean the scribal law? Or did they mean the Pharisaical law? Or did they mean, what did they mean by law? Because what the Jews did, as I've been sharing with you over the the prior weeks, is that they took the law of God and then for good intentioned reasons, they built a whole code system around it so that we would never violate God's law. The problem with that is they added so many rules and regulations and backed everybody so far up from God's intention that it twisted things and started getting so messy, no one could even live it right. Those hundreds of laws that they added in that later were culminated into a book called, or a collection of books called the Mishnah, later commented on by rabbis in the Talmud. By the time we get done talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, it's this massive weight that weighed everyone down. So Jesus comes in and says, let me clarify the intent of my father. And one of the first things he had to do was deal with the issue of legalism. Legalism, if you've never heard that term before, simply means this. You're all about following rules. And if you follow the rules, that makes you a better person. And the heart may or may not matter. That's legalism. Christ came in and said, we're not doing that. Heart matters big time. 
So this whole gig about, I'm going to do all the right stuff and I'm going to be a good person and that's going to get me into heaven, that's bogus. That does not work. That's not the system that I set up. But because the Jews had made so many laws and it became so hard to navigate, they had to make new laws that created loopholes just to live life in their laws. And Jesus is like, this is the silliest thing I've ever seen. Would you all stop doing that? The other thing that he did was raise expectations on what God wants from us. And when he changed things and altered things and clarified things, in some ways he made it harder and in some ways he made it easier, right? So in one way he made it easier. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, okay, I get all of you are just weighted down by all these rules and regulations. Listen, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with the rules and regulations, and I will give you rest. For my yoke, the thing I put on your shoulders, that's easy. My burden that I put on you, well, that's light. You don't need to worry about that. Just walk with me. So in some ways, him instituting grace made things easier. But another way, it made it harder. He changed the motive from that of trying to earn righteousness to you had to have real transformation or it didn't count. The problem with that is you can't fake it anymore. Let's be honest with ourselves on this. All of us know we're in varying degrees of growing up in the Lord, right? I mean, we all know that in church we look pretty good. I mean, from a pastor's standpoint, you didn't come in and shoot anyone in the face. I appreciate that. You didn't scream and yell at someone in the lobby. You're in general very well behaved and look like nice people and doing nice things. So in, in that respect, it seems like you're all doing very well in your transformation in Christ. The problem is, even though you don't yell at us at church, you're yelling at everyone at home. The problem is, is even though you're not overtly sleeping with everyone at the church, your mind and lust quotient at home is out of control. You see what I mean? Is uh, I don't know the true level of your transformation. What Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is groundbreaking. He said, really, your actions on the outside are merely emanations of your heart. So I'm going to zoom in and I'm only going to count what's legit inside. That means it, it doesn't matter if you look perfect on the outside. You don't get credit for that. You get credit for what's inside. Well, now you can't, you can't mess around anymore. You can't. Now everything matters. The motivations for why you do what you do matter, right? Well, that in a sense makes everything harder. The other thing that Jesus changed was that he took it from earning righteousness to grace. What he said was, listen, even in the Old Testament... It's always been the grace of God. You killing animals and doing the sacrificial system was never really cleaning up your sin. I was giving you a pass because I saw that your obedience meant that your heart was in it. And so I would let you go on that. It never cleaned it up, but I basically overlooked it. Well, now I'm not overlooking anything anymore. Now, either it's legit or it's not legit. Either you're really transformed and you believe it or you don't believe it. But we're not playing the game where you can earn credit. I'm wiping that system out. Here's my new system. Perfection. You're either exactly like my heavenly father or you're not. 
And if you're not, you're not getting to heaven. That's why you need a savior. So I'm going to completely wipe out one system concept, throw in another one, and it's called you need a savior real bad. Let's move on. He said, therefore, if that is the case, verse 19, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments that I'm giving you and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, that brings up two questions for me. Uh, Number one, why in the world would you want to relax a commandment of God? Well, I can tell you why I do. This last weekend, I was invited by some friends to go down and sit with a group of them who theologically differ from me. And they brought me down so that we could talk through and hash out our differences. I was there. It was me on one side of an issue and three other gentlemen on another side of the issue. And I was having dinner with them. And they were in their eyes and in their words. They were pleading with me to see it from their perspective because to them it was a critical issue. And as I looked across at the table, I wanted so badly to be a good guy. I wanted to agree with them. Why? Because I love them so intensely. I'm looking across the table and I'm thinking, man, I so bad just want everything to be okay. I want to be able to relax some of the commandments of God so that I can really kind of give them the warm, squishy feeling of, no, it's all cool. Don't worry about it. But I can't do that. I don't make the rules. So I had to sit at that table and be the bad guy. I had to sit there and go, you don't understand. My love for you is so intense and I will do anything for you, but I do not see it theologically the way that you see it. And so by the end of the night, they were discouraged and sad. And I ended up feeling like a jerk. So do I understand the temptation to want to teach differently so that you're a better, well-received person? Yeah, I get that. But if you do that, you all of a sudden negate the ability for God to use you. So that brings up my second question. What do you mean greater in the kingdom and lesser in the kingdom? Does that mean that somehow in heaven you got a big old mega crown where you're like top heavy and you're just kind of, you know, and then everybody else has a little baby crown, you know? Is that what it means? Does it mean something like, you know, somebody's like a superhero and then somebody's like all weak and wimpy? What does it mean greater? We're not talking about heaven. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about how he's advancing the kingdom here in this world. And if you adhere to what the father says, he can use you in great ways. If you do not adhere to what he says, he cannot use you and you're considered least in the kingdom of heaven. Then it moves on. He said, for I tell you, and this is where he drops the bomb on the ancient Jewish people. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, your goodness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, You're never even getting into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that was like, well, forget it. And they just throw up their hands and go, you know what? Those guys, they go out of their way. You can't even find anything wrong with their lives. They are so focused on every tiny little thing in the law. These guys would be considered perfect in society. And you're telling me unless I'm better than those guys, I'm not getting into the kingdom. What do you mean? And Jesus is saying, because the standard now is perfection, These guys are not perfect. I know their thoughts. I know their hearts. And the only people that get into heaven are perfect people. So unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you're not going. The disciples will go, how in the world then can we be saved? And he's like, that's my point. You need to be saved 
from who you are. You need my life. You need my rescue. You need my deliverance. And that's why I'm here for you. So then he goes into more teaching. And this is actually where uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all combine together. Let's go ahead and throw that first passage on the screen. There's a lot to get through. So I'm going to see if I can get through it as rapidly as possible. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. And remember, their job is to make sure everyone's following the codes. So them being here and questioning him is not odd. It's what they were paid to do. It's their job. So they're not being a jerk yet. I'm sure they'll get there, but they are not yet. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Well, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And what are they talking about? Obviously, Matthew or whoever is writing this at the time, which I guess it's Mark on this one is explaining, listen, you're all not Jews reading this, so you don't know the game. You don't know the rules. So let me explain the rules. There's a clean versus unclean code going on. Now, for us, it's very odd because we're not used to this. We don't have these weird religious rules in the same way. So let me see if I can explain it to you. It's like a life or death serious game. The game is called clean versus unclean, and it's very similar to cooties. So here's how the game works. There are certain things all over the world that are called unclean. And if you touch them, you get the heebie-jeebies. And then you can transfer the cooties to someone else. If you touch it and you touch them, now they got cooties. And if if they touch something else, now they got cooties. If you touch something they touch, you got cooties. And there's a bunch of things that are cootie-infested. For example... Dead bodies are super cootie land is that if you touch a dead body, you're done. Okay. Now you're in trouble and you have to find a way to get uncootified. Now you're going, well, that's weird. Why, why? I mean, are you saying it's like a moral thing and you're going, no, no, it's not a moral thing. It's just some things are deemed cootie ish and some things are not. It's that it's not like the dead person. Man, I can't believe you died. What a jerk. You just died. I mean, if I died, I died. Why are you saying that I'm now infected? Okay, do we all understand that no matter what game you play, there are rules? Some rules you understand, some rules you don't. So let's take a kid's game that many of us may understand, and that's freeze tag. Everybody know what freeze tag is? Here's the rules of freeze tag. Basically, I'm it, and I'm going to chase you. You're going to run screaming like little girls, even if you're grown men. You're going to run away from me, and I'm going to chase you down, and if I can touch you and tag you, you are now frozen. And one of the fun things for kids is they have to freeze in the position when they were tagged. That's their fun thing. Now, you can add a rule that if another one of your free people run over and touch you, they can unfreeze you and then you run away and I have to keep trying to tag you. We all got it. Now, sometimes the rules make sense and sometimes the rules of a game don't make sense. For example, why in the world do you, is the score in tennis, love 15, 30, 40. What in the world are we counting? 
is one, two, three, four too difficult? Is that why? Okay, so sometimes the rules of the cootie game is makes sense and sometimes it doesn't make sense. For example, you would go and you say a woman's menstruation period makes her unclean for a period of time. You go, well, that's totally not fair. She didn't pick that. That was a design by God. I get it. All I'm telling you is that makes the unclean thing. And if she touches anything, that's unclean. And now that all the women hate me, let me explain something else. The other, another rule is this. If you are a non-Jew, if you're a Gentile, which is the majority of all of us, you're unclean all the time. There is no time that you're clean. So it doesn't even matter. And here's the other thing. Let's say you're in the marketplace and you're a Jew and you're like, oh, look, a beautiful vase, right? And you go and you go and touch it. And they're like, yeah, a Gentile just touched that like three hours ago. And you're like, ew, gross. Oh, it's on me. Now it's on you and everything you touch, it's now on them. Even the dirt that the Gentiles walked on, if you walk on their dirt, you now have cooties. Okay, so if we're playing this game of clean, unclean, you can understand you never know whether or not you're clean or not. You don't know if you're frozen. You don't know, I got to get unfrozen. So what are you supposed to do about it? They have a way to get unfrozen by special washing. If you wash, you get a do-over. If you wash, you're now clean. So because they never know if they're unclean, they're washing all the time, right? So before they ever touch anything else, they're washing. Before they eat, they're washing. They make sure to wash everything in case somebody with cooties touched it. Are we all clear on how this works? All right, let's move on. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition and not walk according to the tradition of the elders? In other words, why are they not following the rules of the game? For they do not wash their hands when they eat, but they eat with defiled hands. And he answered them, well, I got a question for you. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. That's called a backward slap to the face. They had no idea when they were asking him one question that he was going to be like, what about you? Right? And they're like, ah, they had no idea. And he basically gets on their case and says, hold up, you guys don't even play the game right either. So why are you getting on my boys for what they do when you've completely distorted it? You added in your own rules and now you're more familiar and following your rules rather than my father's rules. You're screwing up the game. Stop doing that. That's not right. People are going to get hurt. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For God commanded through Moses, honor your father and your mother. He said, let me give you an example on how twisted you are. Moses said, honor your father and mother on God's behalf. He also said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Do you remember that Moses laid down the command that if you dishonor mom or dad, they're allowed to kill you, right? It's a, it's a capital offense. But you say, you come up with new rules. You said, well, if anyone tells his father or his mother, Whatever you've gained from me is, well, it's Corbin that is given to God. You make it so that he need not honor his father. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. So for the sake of tradition, you have made void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do, you hypocrites. Well, Jesus seems ticked off. Here's why. This is what he's referring to. In the game that 
parents were supposed to be honored. So if the parents come into your house and they're like, man, is that a new coffee table? You're like, yeah, they go, that's nice. Is that like handcrafted? Yeah, I'd like something like that. Well, in their culture, they kind of made it where you would give it to mom and dad because they asked for it. And mom and dad were to be honored and lifted up. And so you would kind of give them your stuff. Well, they kind of made that part of their rules where if parents asked for something, you had to give it to them. Now, God didn't say that they had to do that. They added that in. Well, now they got themselves in trouble. So they had to make a new rule so they could escape from that rule. So here's what they said. It's a rule called Corbin. What it means is if you can stamp something in your house, you take that coffee table, you stamp it Corbin, right? Which means, I'm sorry, I dedicated that to God. Now you don't have to give it to your parents. So what you do is you go, Corbin. And then you run over here and you go, Corbin. And then you stamp everything all over your house. And then mom and dad come over and you're like, I'd totally give it to you. But you know what? That's God's coffee table. I'm sorry. I can't give it to you. Okay. That's why Jesus is going, this is ridiculous. Seriously, you're making up all these rules and now you end up harming your mom and dad saying, well, you know, I'd I'd love to love on you, but really God needs all this stuff. He's like, this is absurd. So he called all the people to him again and he said, hear me, all of you and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples came and said to him, Uh, Did you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said? (laughs) And he said, yeah, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Leave them alone. They're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both are going to fall into a pit. All right. So before we get to the unclean, clean game change rule, let's talk about what they said. The disciples came up to him and they're like, "Uh, Jesus, do you know you're totally unpopular? Do you understand that you're just ticking people off? And he goes, yes, I do know that. That was on purpose. Uh, Yes, I embarrassed them publicly, and now they hate my guts. But you know what? They need to be disciplined, and they need to figure it out. Because here's the deal. They're all leading. If I allow them to keep going on, they're blind. They're going to lead other people that don't know, and then everybody's messed up. We're not doing that. So I don't care about how popular I am. I'm doing the right thing, and I need these guys to get re-racked. But Peter asked him about the parable. So wait, wait, can we go back to that whole unclean, clean game? Uh, Can you explain the parable to us? And he said to them, are you still without understanding? Okay, Lance's translation. What are you, an idiot? That's actually what he said. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it goes into the mouth, enters not his heart, but his tummy, and it's expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. He said, all right, so the clean, unclean game, we're no longer using food as part of the rules. We're changing the rules on that. He said, let's talk about it logically. If you eat something bogus, the kosher law, it's going to go in your mouth, down into your stomach, and then come out somewhere else. It's not really affecting you. So no, that's not what makes you clean and unclean. It's the other stuff that's coming out of your heart. So let's talk for a moment about the idea of kosher laws. There are food laws in that clean, unclean game before. And the kosher laws are like this. You can eat certain things. You can't eat certain things. Fruits and vegetables are all pretty much legit. But when it comes to meats, there are varying rules. The most common one is you can't eat what? 
pork. Everybody knows that one. You can't eat pork or bacon or any pig products. As a matter of fact, there are certain animals that are off limits. You also can't eat things like lobster and crab, any shellfish, things like that. So they have a bunch of limits on what you can and can't eat. The other thing is you are not allowed to eat any meat with blood in it. The blood has to be drained completely out because in our game, blood represents life. And life is God's business. So you're not allowed to take God's stuff. Here's the other thing. You're not allowed to eat any fat in meat because it is the most flavorful. It is the best portion and that's God's portion. So you're not allowed to eat God's portion. So before we move on, let me see a quick show of hands. How many of you like marbled meat and you like steak with fat in it? Raise your hand. All right. Praise God. Okay. Here's the deal. This is to prove to my wife that I'm not insane. There you go. I'm the guy that has to cut all the fat off everyone else in my family's steak, and I got a pile of fat on my plate, right? Now, here's the thing. Most people are like, that's gross. I said, that's godly. Whoa. Right? <laughs> Which, by the way, gives us an incredible benefit. Next time somebody thinks you put on a couple pounds, you said, I'm getting more godly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So here's what he said. He said, we're not doing those laws anymore. And he said, but what comes out of a mouth of a person, that comes from the heart. That's a big problem. That's what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, and sensuality, envy, false witness, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, eh, it doesn't defile anybody. Let's go to the next passage. He said, let me talk to you about how serious this whole sin thing is. Uh, As much as we're getting rid of the whole clean, unclean game in certain areas, sin, legitimate sin is actually a very serious issue. So he said this, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one through whom the temptation comes. In other words, there's always going to be in our system of the world options. You can choose God or you can choose something else. I get that that has to happen. God said, that's the way I set up the structure. And that is bad. Woe to the world because ultimately I have to burn the whole thing up. But I will tell you, it better not be you who's leading people into temptation. That's going to be a problem. And then he says, I'll tell you how serious I am. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter life crippled then with two hands, go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell, the eternal fire. And if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell for everyone will be salted with fire. That's pretty severe. What Jesus is saying is not, let's start lopping off limbs, right? We get that. Next week, everybody comes in, it's just a stump. They're like, I have a serious sin problem. You know, I would tell you how big, but I can't have any arms, you know. What he's saying is the issue of legitimate sin, if it's wrecking a relationship with God, has to be dealt with in a very severe, direct fashion. 
Because the whole idea of you having your comfort and still going to hell doesn't fly. So somehow we have to deal with the sin issue, and that's only going to be handled through Jesus Christ. The other thing that it just said is as much as it is unpopular, hell is real and hell is eternal. It's not this annihilation game where everybody just goes poof. That's not true. It says right here over and over and over, it's real and it's forever. And that's an issue that has come up more recently. Uh, it, it moves on. He said, let me go one last thing on this whole temptation to sin thing. I got one more thing I need to tell you. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to, to sin... It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung and fastened around his neck and to be cast and thrown and drowned in the depth of the sea. Whoa, Jesus sounds ticked off. Why? He said, don't mess with the little guys. Children are a big deal to God. He's very protective and defensive over children. Now, I am, for one reason, it's an emotional attachment for me, and I defend those that don't have a voice. But also, I do it because that's what my dad thinks. So if my dad gets very up in arms about hurting little ones, I get very defensive about little ones, right? And I think that you should, too. So here's the deal. Little ones in Scripture can either mean real little people, like children, or it can mean young in the faith, So what he's saying is, if you are all corrupt and messed up and screwed up and calloused and have all kinds of issues, don't slime the newbie that walks in and is going, so how do we do this Christian thing? And you're like, well, it's not actually a big deal. You can sin whenever you want. Don't do that because you just wrecked them and God's not okay with that. Be very careful. He said, if you minister to the little guys, if you minister to the new Christians, if you minister to the children, you are ministering to me. Because Jesus said, those are my kids. Make sure to treat them with respect. Make sure to treat them with honor. And you should put yourself on the back burner to make sure they're okay. Are we doing that? Or have we written off the children and the new Christians in our lives as if that's someone else's problem? No. It is the honor of God to minister to his kids. What's the point of the message? Jesus comes in and said, we're changing some of the rules of the game. It's not a game. It's serious. But I needed to talk about what really matters and what doesn't. The whole don't touch that and you'll get religious germs thing. We're not doing that anymore. I needed to make the rules of the game to tell you a point. We've now made that point. I'm moving on. Now we're talking about stuff that really matters. Stuff that is actually sin. Things that are corrupt in your heart that are anti-God. What's anti-God? Well, anything that's not according to his nature, right? That's the stuff that's messing you up. That's the stuff that's screwing up your life. I need you to deal with that very severely. Let's make sure that we're not talking about all the other, I can eat this and I can't eat that. And I can't. When he wiped out those rules, that's why today we don't follow the kosher laws as Christians. But we do take our thoughts very seriously. Can we honor God? Yes. Can we maintain righteousness by ourselves? No. It's Jesus or nothing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, 
You are glorious and wonderful and mighty and powerful. And I pray, Lord, that as we are trying to wrap our minds around what you want, I ask that you would clarify for us. Lord, there are things in our life that actually aren't a big deal. And then there's things in our life we don't think that are a big deal that are really the issue. Would you be our counselor? Holy Spirit, would you walk alongside of us and shine a light into things that need to change? Would you show us what is honoring to you so we can do more of that and not just focus on only the bad stuff? Can we replace the bad stuff with the good stuff? Can we move forward? Can we get a new vision and a new view of what matters in life? For God, our whole purpose in being here is to honor and worship you. So may you be glorified in our lives, in this church, and in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.